Hey there, and welcome back to the Mini Weekend. I'm your host, Jack. Let's crack a beer and get the ball rolling. First of all, yes, this is a Wednesday night. No, we are not getting into, excuse me, a different schedule for Wednesday nights. Just thought I'd come to you guys before everybody has a blessed Thanksgiving to give you a brief update on what has happened in this last week, and what to look forward to on Thanksgiving weekend. So, first things first, I truly do want to take a moment to apologize to all you college winter sports fans out there. I know I myself have been so focused on trying to get new news for baseball, hockey, and basketball for you guys, that I've been oblivious to the fact that, hey, college winter sports have been starting up. In fact, this last weekend, not only did we have a gopher football game, but the but both the Gophers men's and women's hockey teams opened up their 2020-2021 seasons. Hey there and welcome back to the Mini Weekend. I'm your host, Jack. Let's crack a beer and get the ball rolling. First things first, I would like to apologize to all of you college winter sports fans out there. Excuse me. I know I myself have been so focused on trying to get new news on baseball, hockey, and basketball for you guys that I've been a little oblivious to the fact that, hey, college winter sports have been starting up. In fact, this last weekend, as well as having a Gopher football game, both the Gopher men's and women's hockey teams opened up their 2020-2021 seasons. So with that, I want to welcome everybody to the first new segment of Goldie's Locker Room Talk. First thing, men's hockey. The men's hockey team hosted the Penn State Nittany Lions back on Thursday the 19th, and that would be the opening game of the program's 100th season, and they opened it with an impressive 4-1 win. They also got head coach Bob Motzko's first season opener win as Gophers head coach. The next day, they would complete the sweep of the Nittany Lions, winning 3-2. In the series opening, senior forward Scott Reedy would lead the way as the only gopher with more than one goal. He had two on the series. Well, both forward Brandon McManus and defenseman Matt Stodaker came away with three points apiece in the opening series. Senior goalie Jack LaFontaine also stood on his head in this opening series as he stopped 60 of 63 total shots from Penn State. Next up was Ohio State, the Gophers hosted, and man, the Gophers did not take their feet off the gas pedal in this series. Monday night, they won by a score of 4-1, to and Tuesday, Jack LaFontaine got his first shutout of the year in a 2 to nothing effort. Defenseman Ryan Johnson led all scorers against Ohio State in that series, picking up three points, all three of them coming on assists. So far this early in the season, this really is apparent that it's a team effort this year as 18 Gophers have registered a point through only the team's first four games, and it's also worth noting that this is the first time the Golden Gophers have started a season 4-0 and since 2014. So hopefully they can keep this winning streak alive 
as they go on the road for their next four games. Excuse me, on Thursday, December 3rd, and Friday, December 4th, they will be in East Lansing taking on the Michigan State Spartans before heading to Ann Arbor on Tuesday the 8th and Wednesday the 9th for a series with the Michigan State Wolverines. Through the first four games, senior forward Brandon McManus is leading the way for the Gophers with a team-high five points with just one goal. Also, as of now, this is all the games that is currently on their schedule. So, once again, like we've mentioned, stay tuned on the Twitter page and we will keep you updated when more games have been released. Now on to women's hockey. For the women's hockey Golden Gopher team, they opened up the season in a big way as well, similar to the men, winning their season opener in Minneapolis over the Ohio State Buckeyes 4 to nothing. Back on Saturday afternoon, senior forward Grace Zumwinkle would score two goals and sophomore Madeline Wethington would be the only other gopher with a multi-point game as she assisted on both Zumwinkle goals. Senior goalie Lauren Bench would also pick up not only her first shutout of the season, but also her first win and shutout as a gopher. However, the following day, Grace Zumwinkle would score her third goal of the season already for a 1-0 to lead early in the first period. However, Ohio State would answer with two first-period goals himself and hold on to win 2-1. Even in a split with the Buckeyes, goalie Lauren Bench played similar to Jack LaFontaine, just outstanding. She stopped 69 of 71 Buckeye shots in their opening series. Next up for the women's hockey team, they will travel to Duluth for a series with the UMD Bulldogs on November 27th and 28th. This year, the women's Golden Gopher hockey team will be led by senior forwards Grace Zumwinkle and Taylor Wente and senior defenseman Emily Brown and Olivia Knowles, all four of them as captains. It's also worth noting that Zumwinkle, <coughs> Wente, and Brown are all Minnesota girls, so good for you guys and congrats to all of them and the entire team on a good opening series and good luck on a great season. Go for hoops. College basketball is back, people. Tonight, and in a big way, as tons of teams have already played Games, I believe, started as early as noon, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So it's, it's, um, there's been plenty to watch. The Golden Gophers men's team themselves will open up their eighth season under head coach Richard Pitino tonight as they host the Green Bay Phoenix at 6 p.m. Even though the team is returning only seven players this year, Richard Pitino has hoped that his young team can make it back to March Madness after a one-year absence, as the team also has three freshmen and four transfers on the roster this year. This year, the team will also be led by junior captain Gabe Klauscher, redshirt junior captain Marcus Carr, and senior captain Eric Curry. For the rest of this Thanksgiving weekend, the Gophers will host the Loyola Marymount Lions for two games on the 28th and 30th at 5 p.m., and 7 p.m. respectively. As for the women's basketball team, this will be Coach Lindsey Whalen's third season at the helm. 
and she hopes her young team can actually get her to her first March Madness tournament as a coach. For the women's team this year, they actually don't start until a week from today, as they will play host to the Eastern Illinois Panthers on December 2nd at 2 p.m. For Whalen, not only does she have a young team this year, like we mentioned, but similar to her counterpart, Richard Patino, only has seven returning faces this year, headlined, of course, by redshirt senior guard Gadiva Hubbard, who is currently seventh in team history with three-pointers made with 178 and 20th in points at 1,072. Now, on to PJ Flex team. <laughs> Man, the uh, the Golden Gopher football team got their second win of the year. That saw the end of the game in very bizarre fashion. And if you watched it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. However, to open the game, the Gophers and Boilermakers scored on the game's first three scoring drives. They traded touchdowns. Freshman Cam Wiley got the scoring started in this one a little over four minutes into the game with a six-yard run to put the Gophers up 7 to nothing. Just over five minutes later, Purdue sophomore wide receiver ran the ball on a jet sweep from eight yards out to tie the game. But with just a minute left in the first quarter, Muhammad Ibrahim would score the first of his three rushing touchdowns on the day to make it 14-7 to on a one-yard run in favor of the Gophers. The second quarter was the lowest scoring quarter of the game. And with a Seth Green three-yard touchdown run from the Wildcat, the Gophers would take a 21-10 lead into halftime. However, Purdue wouldn't go away despite being down 11 at half. Even though they never had a lead in the game, Boilermaker sophomore QB Jack Plummer would go to work in the seventh, second half, sorry, throwing 167 of his th- 367 total passing yards, along with all three of his touchdown passes in the second half. He threw a 47-yard <clears throat> bomb to stud receiver David Bell to make it a 17-21 game. The duo would connect again later in the third quarter on a nine-yard pass to make it 24-28. And in the fourth, <coughs> excuse me, in the fourth, the teams would trade touchdowns again. Ibrahim would get his third touchdown of the game to make it 31 to 30, or 34-31, sorry. And Boilermaker wideout, sorry, that doesn't make sense, 34 27 and a catch from Payne Durham would make it the 31 to 34 game that we ended up seeing then on Purdue's last drive of the game that's when things got interesting (laughs) there's a little over two minutes left in the game and down three on a second and ten quarterback Jack Plummer threw a deep pass Intended for David Bell. It looked like it was all but intercepted, but it bounced off the arms of our defensive back and into the arms of Purdue receiver David Bell, putting the ball on the Minnesota 23-yard line, putting them not only in great position to tie the game with the field goal, but to even potentially win the game. However, upon review... It, believe me, 
you're you're glad you're hearing this from me and not watching it live if you didn't watch it live. It took about 10 minutes to figure this out. But upon review, it appeared that after it bounced off of our defensive back and before Purdue's David Bell had possession, our safety that came over to help out with coverage was actually had a foot or two out of bounds and actually touched the ball, like I said, before Bell had possession, which... Um, I think his name's Dean Blandino or something like that. He says if somebody touches a ball while they're out of bound, that negates the play and makes the ball dead. So they would go on to say um, it was incomplete and it would give Purdue a third and ten on their last drive. Now, fast forward five plays later, and Purdue now has a first and ten on the go for 19-yard line. Plummer throws to be what appeared to be the go-ahead touchdown with about 30, 40 seconds left to go up 37 to 34. But wait, upon review, there was a flag that was thrown and they would conclude it was pass interference on the offensive tight end, which even though I'm a Gopher fan was questionable at best. You You saw the replay again and you clearly did see the receiver's hand out in front of him. I don't know. Truthfully, I didn't think there was much going on there. He he had his arm out, yes, but it to me it looked like there was already separation between the two before his hand kind of got fully extended. Whatever the case may be, they took it back. Um, like I said, pass interference. And on the very next play... Plummer throws an interception that seals the game, doesn't even give him a chance for a field goal. So, yeah, it wasn't pretty, but it it was a win nonetheless. At the conclusion of this game, the Purdue Boilermakers will play host to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights at 3 p.m. in the afternoon this Saturday. Meanwhile, the Gophers originally were supposed to travel to Camp Randall Stadium in Madison for the 73rd battle for Paul Bunyan's Axe. But as of yesterday, the Saturday's matchup has been canceled due to positive COVID-19 cases within the Golden Gophers program. So with that, the Gophers' next game will actually be on Saturday, December 5th, as they host the current number 8 ranked Northwestern Wildcats. Time is unknown, so once again, keep your eyes on Twitter and we will update you when we find out. Now, Really quickly, with the cancellation of this year's Battle of Paul Bunyan's Axe, it will actually be the only the second time in the 131-year history that the two teams will not play. In fact, I remember reading yesterday, it snaps 113 consecutive years we've played. I remember looking into it yesterday. The last time Wisconsin and Minnesota didn't play was back in 1906. The worst part about it all, the Big Ten and college football announced that they would not be rescheduling this game, which it does stink and it sucks, but I I get it a little bit since the Big Ten, excuse me, we did get started a little later in the season as well. Needless to say, it's, it's going to suck that uh, the Axe has to stay in Madison for an extra year before we have anything to do about it, but what can you do? RTB, Skyuma, go Gophers. 
Once again, like I've apologized for, unfortunately still no news on the Minnesota Twins or the MLB as a whole for that matter. And same goes for the Wild and the NHL as a whole. Once again, we still know January 1st, 2021 is still the targeted date for the upcoming season. But nothing, once again, is set in stone yet. Once again, would also like to apologize out there to all of you MLS, soccer, and Loons fans. Again, I've been so focused on all these other sports that the MLS playoffs just kind of crept up on me. It was like, hey, we're doing our thing. So, and they've actually been underway. And I can say our Minnesota Loons are in the playoffs for this year, for the second straight year in a row. Although, upon looking into this myself, I am a new, within the last couple years, soccer fan, Loons fan. Um, So upon looking into this, even though this is the 25th MLS season on the books, this is only the fourth season uh, in the MLS for our Minnesota Loons or Minnesota FC, whichever you prefer. And they've quickly become one of the better teams in the Western Conference. Last season in 2019, the Loons actually made their first playoff appearance in just their third season. But they fell short in the first round, losing to the LA Galaxy 2-1. However, with the Loons returning most of their roster this year, they were determined to have an even better 2020. This year, the Loons were led by midfielder Kevin Molino, who finished the year with 9 goals, and midfielder Emmanuel Reynoso, who finished the 2020 campaign with 7 assists. The Loons would finish the season in 2020 with 53 points, and a 15-11-8 record, which was good enough for the fourth seed in the Western Conference. This year, the Loons would get another first under their belts as well. Back on Sunday, November 22nd, the Loons hosted the Colorado Rapids in the first round of the playoffs and got their first MLS playoff win by a score of 3-2-0. Midfielder Kevin Molino would open the scoring in the 22nd minute of the game, and not long after the halftime break, midfielder Kevin Laud would make it a 2-0 in the 54th minute in favor of the Loons. Molino would conclude the scoring with his second of the game in the 79th minute. And midfielder Emmanuel Reynoso would finish the game with three assists. So, huge congratulations to our Loons on that accomplishment. That first win in the playoffs, getting under their belts, got to feel good. And with the conclusion of this game, obviously, the Colorado Rapids season is ended. So congratulations to them on a good season. They finished fifth in the conference. As for the Loons, they move on to the Western Conference semifinals now and will travel to Missouri to take on the number one seeded Sporting Kansas City a week from today on December 2nd at 8 p.m with hopes of advancing to their first ever conference finals. So, very, very exciting stuff if you're a Loons fan, and if you're not, they're worth checking out. Once again, their next game is Wednesday, December 2nd at 8 p.m. So, go Loons, and as my brother, who is a big Loons fan, would say, come on you Loons, Minnesota black and blue, coil. (laughs) So, with that... um, for the Wolves, the only thing that's really happened in the last week that um, 
in, in the front office is we've extended shooting guard Malik Beasley to a four-year contract back on Friday. He was good for us coming off the bench last year, and uh, it'll be exciting to see him uh, in uh, in Minnesota threads with uh, Anthony Edwards, Cat, and D'Angelo Russell. Other than that, all you basketball fans out there know it's been kind of a crazy free agency nonetheless, and good news for next week's podcast is that schedules will mostly be out by then for us to chat about. But for now, we're going to move on. Man, uh, so now we're on to the Vikings. Um, that uh, that Vikings game against Dallas. Um, wow, <laughs> that was yet another roller coaster of a game. Again, there were definitely plays and moments where I thought, heck yeah, you know, we're going to win the game and make the playoffs for sure. But then there were plays where I was like, what what the heck? How how are we even an NFL team right now? Uh, the, the silver lining, and as you guys already know about me, I'm somebody who always tries to look on the bright side of things. The silver lining in this game, even though we lost is that coming into this game, we were in ninth place in the conference and only two games out of that final wildcard spot. We're still exactly where we were coming into that game. We didn't make up any ground, but hey, we didn't lose any ground as well. Um, The other disappointing part is on the offensive side of the ball, we played we played a really good game you know i everybody knows i am kirk cousins arguably one of kirk cousins biggest critics he he played very well he completed 22 of 30 passes threw for over 300 uh passing yards with three touchdowns delvin cook on 27 carries had 115 yards and one touchdown and our our receivers came up big time Thielen led the way with the most receptions at eight and most yards. He had 123 yards. He caught two TDs. And then right behind him, Justin Jefferson had three receptions for 86 yards and one touchdown. Delvin Cook was integral in the receiving game. Kyle Rudolph got got involved. Um, Irv Smith got involved. And even even B.C. Johnson caught a pass. Um, You know, it... It was a good game offensively, and you know, as as upsetting as it is that our defense wasn't able to get stops at the end of the game, they didn't play bad in the first half. <coughs> Excuse me. We did get an Eric Kendricks interception in the first half when we were up seven to six. However, we didn't do anything with it. So offensively, we did a bad job of. Um, converting on interceptions and, you know, getting points off of turnovers. We got that interception great. We only had four plays, and then we had to punt the ball away. So it was um, it was very frustrating that way. We had, we had two fumbles. Um, and, you know, I hate, I hate saying this because I, I don't think it's fair to them. I... I know referees are there to make the calls, but there were some very, very questionable calls in this game. Um, that one on Delvin Cook that 
that um, let that fumble go <clears throat> in real time. You're like, crap! Like, did 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 he have possession? Like, you you really weren't sure when you slowed it down. You were kind of like, okay, because he's so fast. You saw him take a couple steps, and man, that was a hard hit. Could you make an argument that he led with his head to make contact? Of course, but it wasn't called. And I think the frustrating part, again, I'm not, I try not to blame games on the refs, and that's not what I'm doing right now. But you do have to hold them accountable to make the plays. And at least some, sometimes in the games, the silver lining is hey, there are bad calls being made. But at least they're being um, consistent with their calls. In this game, they weren't. They didn't necessarily call that. Like not like now. I said, is that a call that needed to be called? Maybe, maybe not. But then there's a play that I believe it was third down. Um, that C.D. Lamb was going for a catch, and Harrison Smith, who people need to understand, this guy hits hard. Like, he's just a hard hitter. He doesn't always necessarily try to. He's just built, and the guy just gets in there, and he he makes it happen. (laughs) And they dinged him with a um, a 15-yard penalty on that, which eventually turned into points. And then the last and final um, instance I'm going to talk about with the refs is that hit on Kirk Cousins with that led to a fumble two things on that one it was definitely contact to the helmet which again I'm probably the most even though I'm not Kirk's biggest fan I'm kind of the most passionate and the most pissed off about that one simply because the NFL year after year after year after year after year week after week after week has said we are trying to protect our players, but not only our players, we're trying to protect our quarterback. Now, I'm upset about this for two things. One, I can't remember the guy's name, um, but the guy who went high on Kirk Cousins, not only did he hit his helmet, which you can't, can't, it sounds like a silly rule, but you can't even have, technically, you can't have your hands on a quarterback's helmet. That is against the rules. That's just straight and simple. That's that's against the rules. You can't do it. Um, so that the second part about that is he led with his head into his head. That caused a fumble. The last thing about it, and I tweeted about this too if you guys follow my personal account on Twitter either. I'm like 99% sure there is a rule that states you can't go high like it's known as table topping. You can't go low on somebody and another one of your teammates can't go high. Like you have to make it work where if you go low first, you know, you got to take them down lower, vice versa. But you can clearly see when this guy initiates contact with Kurt Cousins. There's already a guy with his arms around his ankles and trying to like get him down that way. So there's a legitimate argument you could make that there could have been two penalties on that play. So that's you know that's that's beyond me. And and like I said, bottom line is, and and I've said it all the time, the Vikings should have done a better job, 
even on the offensive side, but also especially on the defensive side, putting themselves in a position where you know, you know, three calls like that didn't have that much of an effect, you know, on on the game. I mean, you know, uh, again, we talk about the Vikings are a team that often lose games that they should easily win. I mean, you know, I think one thing we could talk about is I, I wasn't anticipating Andy Dalton playing in this game. It Honestly, it doesn't matter. They were still a 2-17 coming into this, and we were 10-point favorites. So it's it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, with with the loss of this game, I think part, like the hardest part about it is we're 1-5 or, yeah, 1-4 no, now at home. We played five games because... I remember looking at the schedule. We have six games left, three at home, three on the road. So we're one and five right now at home, which, you know, sucks. I know there's no fans this year, but Vikings are a team that religiously do a good job of, you know, winning, um, you know, at home. So it's it's tough to see them losing these games and not being their um, their usual selves. Um <laughs> The the weird part about it, I know I picked this game as a win. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned it last week, but in my preseason views, I didn't see them being very banged up. I didn't see Dallas um, uh, arguably starting their third-string quarterback. So um, I actually had this game as a loss in the preseason. So kind of 50-50, excuse me, right now on this one. So... Um, yeah, I guess right now we can check in on our preseason, um, what our, our, our preseason prediction, the one that's still alive, it's that Justin Jefferson will beat Randy Moss's rookie, um, reception yard. So right now through, what is it? 10 games, we're about to play our 11th game. Justin Jefferson has 45 receptions. Which means he's got twenty five to go. Which means in the what's that? The uh, six, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. The six games we have left, he has to average four point one six. So again, a little ahead of schedule because at the beginning of the year we figured it was four point three, four point four. Um, but he's he's still on schedule to do it, and I think with some of the games we have coming up, it. You know, it it should happen. I I wouldn't be surprised to see him do it with you know a game or two games left on the schedule. Um, with that, both of my predictions last week did not come true. I think we sacked Andy Dalton once, and um, Delvin Cook had a good game. He had a good game, but Kirk was feeling himself, and Delvin only ran for one touchdown. So uh, with that, you know, looking ahead to this game against the Panthers, I think uh, regardless of if it's P.J. Walker or Teddy Bridgewater, it sounds like Teddy's a, a game-time decision. I think, I think it's going to happen. I think we'll bounce back again at the beginning of the season. I, I had this as a win, but I'm going to say we'll win 29-21. I don't think it'll be a very high-scoring game. I don't think it'll be a big margin either. Um, I know... The Panthers are kind of coming off feeling themselves. They've got, <clears throat> excuse me, this last week they had, uh, they completed a rare shutout 
of the Detroit Lions, but truthfully, I don't think the Lions are that great of a team. Um, yeah, it's hard to get shut out in the NFL, but I mean, it's still the Lions. <laughs> so, yeah, um, moving on. Bold predictions. I think Justin Jefferson is going to have a big game. Um, I think <clears throat> something about this Carolina team, I think they're going to a little bit have the mindset, hey, you know, let's make these you know, guys beat us. Um, and I think uh, Thielen, if he plays, which is sounding like it's going to be another game-time decision because he tested positive for COVID. And then late, like the next day, tested negative. So regardless, I think Justin Jefferson is going to have a big game. I think he'll catch two, D, two TDs on Sunday. And defensively, I, I don't know. Um, I kind of struggled with this one because they've been kind of – they struggled this last game. But I'll say we'll get back on the boards. I think we'll combine um, seven a total um, sacks and tackles for losses. I think I put down two sacks. Yeah, two sacks and five tackles for losses. So, yeah. Um, Pickums. I did horrible this last week. <laughs> so I'm sure anybody listening that's doing that, keeping up with me, you beat me. I only got four of them, right? So I'm hoping to get back on top of this thing this week. Um, this week, my sure thing is going to be the Buffalo Bills over the Los Angeles Chargers. Yes, I know Herbert is balling out and he continues to impress as a rookie. But what I didn't know and what a lot of people I'm sure didn't know, the Chargers have yet to win a road game this year. And I think the Bills are coming into week 12, I believe, uh, off of a bye. So should be pretty fresh and, you know, more than enough time to get over that heartbreaker at the hands of Cardinals. But I think they'll be ready to defend their field and get back in the winning column. And uh, this week for my upset, I'm actually going to take the Baltimore Ravens over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, For one, I just, it's... It's hard to complete a perfect season and go 16-0. and 0. So I think regardless of if it's this week or week 13, 14, 15, whatever, I think they're going to lose at least one game coming down the stretch here. It's just, it's hard to do. Um, but as for this game, I think if there's, when I thought back about this game, if there's one week this year where the Ravens offense actually looked unstoppable like they were last year it was against the Steelers and although they did lose that game uh, I believe it was 28 to 24 back in week eight yeah the Ravens actually doubled the Steelers total yards I was looking at it was about 457 to 221 and for most of the game I I remember they all played Pittsburgh except for four you know glaring mistakes which were all all turnovers from Jackson, he had two fumbles and two interceptions. So, truthfully, th- again, thinking of back this game and making my um, pick this year from this week for my upset, I do believe that if Jackson had been a little smarter with the football, I think Baltimore would have won that game. Um, and and with that, you know, you catch your groove and you know get better as the season goes on. So I think it'll happen. Um. Sunday night, I believe. Yeah, it was it was supposed to be thir- yesterday as one of the games for the season or for Thanksgiving games, but they pushed it back because of COVID too. So yeah, 
But really quickly before we go, most importantly, I hope everyone out there listening has a very happy, happy Thanksgiving weekend and is able to see or hear from family in these times. I know we're in the midst of some tough times with tough regulations to abide by, but I I really do hope everybody has a very blessed Thanksgiving weekend and we will be back on our Thursday night schedule starting next week, like I did mention. With that, remember this podcast is about you guys, the listeners. If you guys have a tap buck you want me to address or a question you want me to answer, please reach out on Twitter or by emailing us. Twitter handle is at miniweekend and email is miniweekend at gmail.com. That's M-I-N-N-Y-W-E-E-K-E-N-D at gmail.com. Same spelling for Twitter. And feel free to give us a follow on Twitter as well. Also, make sure you subscribe to my podcast on your podcast listening sites for updates. And if you like the podcast, give it five stars. And if you don't, well, I mean, just keep listening until you would give it five stars. Until next week, Minnie.